I don't know what's happened in your life, but I know stuff has. And even though you've focused on more recent events or all the times you think your adult self should have known better, what you've been doing through people-pleasing is expressing anger at your younger self while simultaneously trying to protect them from being hurt in the way that they were before. We think we leave our younger selves behind in childhood, but they're still with us. And I just thought that was just so, you know, and then you say reparenting is about connecting with the younger aspects of yourself that drive your people pleaser so that you can finally give yourself what you need, fill the void and stop trying to right the wrongs of the past. It's about regaining the ability to speak your feelings to yourself by entering into a more compassionate, honest, and present relationship with yourself. And I just feel like that's what I want the whole world to do. (laughs) Hi, I'm Biz Cush, a life coach and therapist and your host here on the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. We're talking to women all over the world who found their way back to themselves, to their inner knowing, to their intuition, to their wisest self. We're exploring how to feel alive, authentic, engaged, and fully present in your life. Let's awaken your wise woman. Hi there, and welcome back. I'm Biz Cush, your host here on the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. And I'm super excited that you're here. And I just want to own that my sound quality for this part of the introduction is not great because I've had to use my AirPods instead of my usual at-home recording equipment because I'm traveling. I am out of town. I'm on the West Coast this week visiting with my sister Clifford, and then tomorrow starting a somatic IFS training with Susan McConnell at the Mount Madonna Retreat Center. And I'm really excited, a little bit nervous. I can't wait to share more about the training. And I purposefully brought along a portable mic here in order to record this so I could get it to the editor and have it ready to go out later in the month, but my mic broke, I guess, in the trip. I don't know. Or maybe it was broken before we left, but it was not working. So I've had to use my AirPods instead. So I apologize for a little less quality of recording, but the rest of the interview for sure is done on my home studio. So it will be better. Before we jump into the interview and more about Natalie, if you are a highly sensitive woman who feels overwhelmed easily, gets anxious and stressed out because too much information coming in or just life has come to a place where it just feels hard, I want you to know that coaching can help. And being a highly sensitive woman, I know the difficulty of a busy life, of people who expect a lot from you, how hard it can be to set boundaries and create the space that you need to be energetically aligned. And I would love to help you get there and feel more aligned and feel more grounded and feel centered in yourself and what you need. So you can reach out to me through elizabethcushcoaching.com for more information. 
and you can email me through the website as well. You can also book a 45-minute discovery call for free, and that's available there on the website too. If you want to know more about me and what I'm thinking and the podcast, have that all delivered directly to your inbox. You can sign up for the newsletter at elizabethcushcoaching.com forward slash sign up. Sign up is all one word. So on to the interview this week. I spoke with Natalie Liu earlier in the, I think in December, because her new book, The Joy of Saying No, is coming out. And I was super excited to be able to talk to her about that. Not only do we talk about that, we talk about her journey with learning how to set boundaries for herself so that she could live a fulfilled, aligned life that really truly supported her. So we talk about boundary setting, we talk about inner child work, we talk about why your soul wants you to say no. And yes, it's a beautiful conversation and I can't wait for you to hear all the goodies that are available. So here's a little bit more about Natalie and our conversation. Natalie Liu is a writer, speaker, podcaster, artist, and the founder of one of the longest-running self-help blogs in the world, Baggage Reclaim, and the Baggage Reclaim Sessions podcast. The British-born, Dublin-Ireland-raised author helps people understand how their emotional baggage is interfering with their ability to live their lives happily and authentically. Her advice has been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, NPR, USA Today, and the BBC, among many others. She is soon to release her new book, The Joy of Saying No, which will come out on January 10th of 2023. So when you hear this podcast, the book will be available, and I highly recommend you getting it because it is full of great stuff. And in my conversation today, Natalie shares some of her personal story to highlight why this book was so important for her to write and why she feels it her mission to help at least one person not go through what she went through in her life. And as I share in our interview, I love the title, The Joy of Saying No, because Do we often think of saying no as joyful? Probably not so much, but it is. And she shares some words of wisdom that by saying no, we're connecting with ourself and how saying no really allows you to show up authentically in your life and relationships and take care of all the parts inside of you that are screaming that they want to feel safe and secure in the world. And Take a listen to the interview. It's amazing. Lots of goodness here. Let's jump in. Hi, Natalie, and welcome to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you about your book and just about you and your journey, but I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the work you do. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I'm Natalie. I'm based in 
southeast England, just a little bit on the edge of London, and I'm 45. And I have been writing, really talking about all things emotional baggage for over 17 years on my blog, Baggage Reclaim. And I started that back in September 2005. Really about a year into my blogging journey, I was writing a personal blog and talking about my my life here in, in London and trying to figure out dating and speaking out loud about things that I thought were my weirdness, that I thought were signs of, I guess, my unlovability, made me realize that there were lots of other people just like me. And I was going for a lot of the time, big health issues. And what I realized is that I needed to talk about all these things that I had kept within myself and these assumptions I was making and the emotional baggage that had impacted my health, my relationship choices, how I worked, just everything to do with how I showed up in the world. And so since then, I've been, I started off writing a blog and then for the last several years, I've had a podcast. I've self-published four books, uh, started with Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl and Um, Another one, Love, Care, Trust, and Respect was the fourth one I did. And it's really, I wanted to help at least one person avoid what I had been through or to help one person navigate their way out of these situations. And obviously I've helped a lot more than a couple of people (laughs) in in that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you shared with me, but also you share in your book that one piece that really shook you was a diagnosis that got you to sort of step back and really a medical diagnosis to look at your life and mm-hmm. sort of reevaluate where you were in the world and that it opened up a lot of stuff. But I'm curious if you would, wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I... In the, I think it was the summer of 2003, I found a lump in my finger. And as you do sometimes with these things, I was like, oh, there's a lump in my finger. Oh, I wonder if that's something scary like cancer. Oh, I know. I'll just push that to the back of my mind and carry on as normal. Mm. In the months that followed, I started having these episodes where I couldn't really see properly out of my eye. Oh, gosh. I would become very, very sensitive to light. And it got increasingly worse sort of over that autumn. And I was I went to the GP. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, Just yeah, doctor. Yeah. I think you call it in the US. Yeah. 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 But um, I did like three or four visits. One of them actually called me a hypochondriac. Oh, gosh. And said that it was like just conjunctivitis. I went to an optician and they examined my eye and they went, you really need to go back to your GP. There is something wrong here, you know, still dismissed. And it was only when my eye was kind of looking like it was starting to come out of my head. And also I couldn't even read a road sign or a tube map in front of me that I was finally taken seriously and told that I had to go to the emergency eye unit immediately. And I was diagnosed with something called sarcoidosis. It's one of these mystery immune system diseases where they don't know why you have it, or they call it an autoimmune disease. But 
It's in that range of illnesses like rheumatoid, arthritis. It mimics a lot of the symptoms actually of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but without the cancer. So I had, they checked me. I was riddled with lumps throughout my body. They were like, had you not noticed that you had uh-huh. <laughs> all of these lumps? I was like, hmm. I had, but I was kind of in the middle of having an affair with my coworker. So kind of distracted. And I was ill for well, I went on steroids. My sight was really bad, so I had to go on steroids for my eye. I was in and out of hospitals for checks. My spleen was affected. Joint, everything mm. was affected. Wow. I went on steroids for a year, which then steroids create a whole different set of problems. And I finished the year-long course of steroids, and within a month, it was back. Oh, my gosh. And they said, well, there isn't anything else we can do. You have to go on steroids for life. Otherwise, basically, you'll be dead by 40 type of thing. And that was <laughs> the thing that finally woke me up. Suddenly made me realize that I, I had not really been living my life. I mean, I was here and I had a job and I had friends and I had family, albeit they drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. I'd had various relationships. I'd taking boxes and doing a lot of things but I really didn't like myself and this shock prognosis really awakened something in me and made me start fighting for myself I guess yeah yeah that sounds terrifying and I appreciate your sharing that here I mean just the idea that well one the diagnosis but two realizing that you didn't really like yourself and that your life was not kind of what you had created it to be, right? Like here I'm doing all the yeah. things, checking all the boxes, and yet I'm not fully present in it, really living it. Yeah, I quickly realized that it's funny because I had been ill for, you know, at least a couple of years at that point, And I'd actually had a series of other mystery ailments before in the preceding years. And I realized that I was very emotionally shut down, that I had gone through a lot. Clearly trauma was going on in there. And of course, if you shut down emotionally, that is going to play out in the body. And I didn't actually realize how anxious I was Mm. as a person because that anxiety had manifested itself in people pleasing and perfectionism and go overgiving and overthinking and over responsibility. Only I didn't call them those things. I just said it was me being a good person and a good friend and a good worker and a a good whatever. Yeah. And what was interesting was this year, my little brother, who is 12 years younger than me, was diagnosed with the same illness. Wow. After going through, well, they were like, they told him they were 99% sure it was cancer. And after a very, very scary month, basically thinking the absolute worst, they were like, actually, no, this is sarcoidosis. They only decided to go looking for that after they'd finally ruled out cancer. Wow. And so it's interesting how it has shown up in the family again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you share some of your, in the book, The Joy of Saying No, which FYI, love the title because you have a little joy circled, like saying no <laughs> should be joyful, right? <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. But you share some of the personal traumas, some of the things that have been difficult, but I'm curious too, like what really helped you 
stop and look inward at and really listen to yourself. Get beyond the, yeah. That's a beautiful question. I think it was interesting in the weeks that followed that consultation, you know, I heard the word boundaries. I'm not going to say it was for the first time, but I felt like I properly heard that. And it occurred to me as I was, you know, changing my diet and, you know, going for all these appointments that there wasn't really a point in doing this stuff if I was just going to continue on with my life the way that it was. And what was interesting is in experiencing that awakening in, for instance, that consultation and in the weeks that followed, I suddenly just became really aware of how I felt Hmm. around people. Hmm. I noticed the chatter in my head, very, very critical. Like there was one day that I was in my apartment and I can't even remember what had happened, but something had happened early on in the day and it took a good probably 12 hours. So I I only noticed it in the evening where I suddenly stopped in my tracks and realized that I had been raging at myself all day, that I had shamed me, criticized me, heckled me, patronized me, everything, like all day. And I was like, I noticed it. And I was like, is this what you do all day? Like, is this what you do when things go wrong? It was a shock to me that I could go for that long and not even realize that I was doing that. And so it was that experience, but also noticing how I felt around certain people. So for instance, I remember one day my mom was in the apartment and she was going on and on and on about something. And I noticed that my stomach had felt like somebody had twisted it into this tight knot. I was holding my breath. I felt ill and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm. (laughs) I think I might need to stop this conversation Mm. now. And it was things like that, just paying attention to how my body or my chatter was letting me know, hello, you need to speak up here or you need to do something for yourself here or you need to get out. I started following that. And it wasn't so much about, are you right, Natalie? Are you wrong? It was about, I needed to get into relationship with myself because I spent too much time listening to, let's just call it crap in my head and too much time listening to everybody else and anticipating everybody else's needs and desires and feelings. I was like, enough. And it was that recognizing all of this chatter, this worry, this anxiety that was constantly rumbling around in me and listening to that, but without shaming myself or feeding it. And also recognizing if I can have a hand in my own misery and by gosh, I really had had a hand in that. That's not to take away from any experiences that I had had, whether it was in childhood or adulthood, what others were doing. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of choices that I was also part of making. Yeah. And acknowledging that if I can have a choice in my misery, if I can have a hand in shaping that, then I can surely have a hand in shaping my happiness too. As I like, I'll follow that. It was really when you fear that you're going to be dead, you know, in 10 years, 
even though it seems abstract and hypothetical, I was suddenly like, actually, you know what? <laughs> I'll take listening to myself and saying no <laughs> over being dead. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Well, that's what it felt like with just listening to you. Just, yeah, this sense that like, I have to live my life now and take care of me. And through that realization, opened up this whole world of, yeah, I'm walking through the world as an anxious, people-pleasing, non-boundaried person, and I don't want to be that anymore. It's so funny when you see yourself, and obviously I thought I was seeing myself all those years before, and so all those mean things that I said about myself, yeah. and some of that stuff that I said about myself was stuff that I was repeating. Um, you know, I talk about how our inner critic is like this backing track that we have recorded and it's not just of our own criticisms it's other stuff that we have recorded as well and it plays on low in the background depending on what's going on in our lives but the volume jumps up in instances where we are afraid but also where our inner critic is used to being critical like the habit of it and so if we make a mistake or we do something that we think is wrong, or we feel guilty, or we feel angry, and our inner critic is used to having sway over us in those instances, then it will jump in automatically. And so for me, I remember that just like being a kid, that when something didn't go my way, or I felt like I'd screwed up, I'd be like, you stupid, worthless, good for nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. This stuff is habits, yeah, not truth. And it's amazing how when you pay a little bit more attention to yourself and to what you're saying, what you're feeding yourself, how you can really start to shift the way that you're showing up in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And relating to yourself. Like I think of, I have done a lot of self-compassion work because of my own inner critic and anxiety and Like ultimately, my feeling is the inner critic just doesn't want us to get hurt. It wants us to do all the right things so that people will love us and be kind to us. And and yet it can be so damaging to our our inner world, right? Like our all of our parts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing I say to people is the inner critic has one function and one function only. It is to criticize. So if we think that if we do all of the right things, that the inner critic is suddenly going to switch off or that it's going to switch over to praise and positive talk, we will be blue in the face before that happens because it does one thing, which is criticize. And what is interesting, and this is how we can recognize that it is our inner critic, it criticizes us for something. And then if we do it, If we, like, let's say, for instance, we decide I'm going to give this presentation at work and our inner critic is like, but this could go horribly wrong. Do you remember that time when you screwed up that thing before? So then we don't do the presentation based on what we've now paid attention to. The inner critic switches sides. See, this is why you don't get anything done. You're a coward. This is how you recognize the inner critic because it switches to both sides. And the inner critic, you're so right that, of course, it can be very cruel, but depending on 
how we are in relationship with ourselves, but also what we've picked up from the people around us. Mm-hmm. But it is a self-protective Absolutely. device. Yeah. And the mistake that we make is treating it like you are the law, your king, queen, God, whatever we want to call it. Like you are the arbiter of everything that is good and bad and, and right real. and right. wrong yes. and real. Yeah. 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 And it's like, actually, no, we are the ones in charge of us. And I also think, and this is so true for me, that we can end up really using the inner critic as a substitute parent where the inner critic steps in and becomes this sort of moral, dictatorial, disciplinary voice mm-hmm. that we use as a substitute for what is a void with the other relationships that we've had in our life. And we think, oh, this is what it's like to, to have somebody care. This right. is what it's like to have authoritarian input. Uh, no, yeah, it really isn't. And it's that now what I find is it's more about trying to sit alongside this inner critic. You don't want the inner critic to be in charge, but you also don't necessarily want to be like, get lost, do right. one, because that can also be very triggering also. But it's yes. understanding where is this coming from? Right. What is this about? What does my inner critic want? You know what? I liken it to, <laughs> you know, when you have somebody in your life and they're really fearful And so, I don't know, you say that you're going to do something and they go, but what about this? And you go, no, no, it's okay. I've checked about that and that's okay. Okay, but what about this? You go, no, 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 I've sorted that. Okay, but what about this? And that's the inner critic. But what about, but what about, but what about? And our inner critics, some of us have a coach one, because it all depends on what we've grown up around. But some of us have that coach, very pushy. Mm -hmm. Some of us have a very sort of guilt-inducing one because that was the language. It's guilt. Yeah. Depending on what we're used to hearing, that's the style of our inner critic. And if we can have a kinder relationship with us, we then start to notice when the inner critic is not really being very kind. And, you know, once we get kind, I've also noticed that the inner critic gets a little bit clever. Yeah. Because then it it postures seeming advice, you know, in this very almost calm, rational way, as opposed to the old stuff, you worthless, good for nothing, you're never going to amount to anything. It knows that's not going to work because we'd (laughs) recognize that immediately. So then it's more subtle because it seems like it's advice, Mm -hmm. it's best practices. And even then we have to pay attention and go, how do I feel in response to this? Is this how I talk to somebody else? Right. Is this how I'd want somebody else to talk to me? Nine times out of 10, the answer is no. Well, and I find, you know, you mentioned in the book, The Joy of Saying No, too, recognizing that a lot of times, you know, we may need to be doing some inner child, younger parts work. And then Mm -hmm. at least in my experience, as I'm learning to myself be kinder and treating myself with compassion, my inner critic is less present. It's not there all the time in my head telling me all the ways I'm doing it wrong because I'm working to not do that to my, you know, myself is working to create a relationship with those parts that's not shaming or guilt inducing or critical. And if it would be okay, could I read a little bit from your book that just touched me? Yeah, absolutely. 
you say, and this is chapter 10, Reparent Yourself. It says, I don't know what's happened in your life, but I know stuff has. And even though you've focused on more recent events or all the times you think your adult self should have known better, what you've been doing through people-pleasing is expressing anger at your younger self while simultaneously trying to protect them from being hurt in the way that they were before. We think we leave our younger selves behind in childhood, but they're still with us. And I just thought that was just so, you know, and then you say reparenting is about connecting with the younger aspects of yourself that drive your people pleaser so that you can finally give yourself what you need, fill the void, and stop trying to right the wrongs of the past. It's about regaining the ability to speak your feelings to yourself by entering into a more compassionate, honest, and present relationship with yourself. And I just feel like that's what I want the whole world to do. <laughs> it's so lovely to hear you read back those words. Because, of course, you know, you write this book and, and it's easy to forget things that, sure. that you've written, but also hearing it from you, from somebody else, like that you're so right that that is what you want for everyone. Yeah. Because a lot, well, really all of the troubles that we deal with in the world right now really does come from these aspects of ourselves acting out. And if we can take care of those younger parts of ourselves and give them some reassurance like I have a big part of the work with myself has just been reassuring my younger self it's okay we're not back in the late 70s 80s yes. or 90s anymore like it's okay we have a different life now you're safe I've got you yes because sometimes what we don't realize is that when we're not taking care of us now as well as in the past which will help us to take care of our future selves, our nervous system and our subconscious end up thinking, well, this must be how things are. It must be that we're still in the 80s or whenever it was, because how we're behaving reminds them yeah. of that. Yeah. It, it sends a signal to us emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. Oh, you've not grown up yet. You're not safe. Right. You're not secure. You cannot protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so the more that we can actually differentiate between the past and the present, the more that we can allow us to say no, because allowing us to say no is literally the expression of, I am not a child anymore. Because that's, we learned not to say no as kids. And it's like, yes. oh my God, it's like saying no is a bad thing and I'm going to piss off an adult. Right. And it's like, no, because actually when we allow ourselves to say no, it's acknowledging, I have agency here. I'm not that kid anymore. I can make different choices now. I do have a say in what I do and don't want to do. I do have a say in my needs. It's like, oh, actually, I am this worthy, present, whole human being right now. Yes. And I'm forgiving my younger self by allowing me to say no now. Because each time we avoid saying no, and it's based on, you know, this fear, this, this old stories we're telling ourselves, these criticisms and judgments. Every single time we do that, we're going, yeah, I'm not forgiving you yet. 
But when we allow ourselves to say no when we need, want to, and should, and also to say yes authentically, then we are allowing us to forgive those younger versions of us that we didn't allow to do that, but that we also persecuted yes. them for. And shut them away and put them in a closet and said, I don't want to hear from you anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I look back and I think of, for instance, like my teenage self or even like my 20s, even just like my little kid self. And I'm yeah. like, wow, yeah. you had no margin. Like I didn't give myself any margin. And, you know, of course, our parents and grandparents and so forth, they were all also socialized yeah. and conditioned in the ways that we were. And in a very different time to us. Yes. But I didn't get that much margin from them either. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, and if you don't get margin from others, you don't give yourself. You don't learn margin. how to do that, right? You don't learn that it's yeah. okay to not be a perfect people pleasing, yes saying human. Yeah. It took being in my 40s to have this realization. And it was actually watching an episode of Modern Family that showed it to me one day. Mm. And uh, there's a, one of the characters, Alex is perfectionist. She works with like A plus student all the time, heart overachieving. And after a very difficult time that she's going through, her mom like, acknowledges that you're doing too much. And of course you're worn out. And I was like, I found myself crying my eyes out and I was like, oh, this all makes sense now. Nobody ever actually gave me any limits. It was like, just do more, do more, push, push, push. Everybody just demanded and expected of me. And I've replicated that relationship with myself. Yes. And so yes, <laughs> what was interesting, you know, when you're talking about listening to yourself, a few weeks ago, I thought that I might have appendicitis. Oh, no. And I went to the doctor and they said, yeah, this is looking like appendicitis. You need to like go to the hospital. And um, I popped home and there was this, I don't know, probably about 15, 20 minutes where I was like, uh, maybe I could just like do this later. I've got like a couple of meetings. So I could just like try to like push on. And I was listening to myself. And I noticed that I went into observation mode and there was no judgment. I was actually kind of fascinated by the whole thing. <laughs> And then I was like, Natalie, are you honestly going to delay these meetings? You know, there was like doing interviews, like for the book and stuff. I was like, are you honestly going to go ahead with those while you're in pain like this and delay that until later and push on? I was like, no, you're not. Because what I noticed is that's an example of where my inner critic has shown up in a very subtle yes, way. Yes, yes, yes. Really subtle way where it hasn't necessarily been like out and out. Natalie, how could you even think about going to the hospital for suspected appendicitis when you've got these meetings? But instead it's been like, yeah, but maybe you could push on. Right, right. Couldn't you just get through this? And and your health doesn't matter that much, right? Yeah, absolutely. And these are the sneaky ways that I conditioning shows up, that our emotional baggage shows up. And I've noticed that that is a thing for me, the pushing on, the cracking on, the maybe I can just get a bit more out of myself. And now I'm like, no, don't demand mm -hmm. that much out of yourself. Like you're not a machine. Yeah. yeah. And what would happen if you just allowed yourself to do less just because? Yeah. Right. Or allowed yourself to take care of yourself just because. Right. Yeah. Without it having to be, oh, look, you've done all the things. Let me reward you by actually taking care of you for a bit. 
like self-care as a reward for having burned yourself out or something. It's, <laughs> no, just take care of yourself just because there's not be a reason. You don't have to have earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Give it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, your story just resonates so, so much with me. And I know it will with the listeners of the podcast. But I wondered if there was one thing and maybe it doesn't have to be one, a piece of wisdom that you would like to share to the women who are listening today to our conversation, what would that be? So when you're thinking about saying no, I know that there are people listening who that literally sends a shudder <laughs> through them where <laughs> they can feel themselves breaking out yeah. you know, at the idea of it. And the thing is, is that no is just the inverse of yes. Like they're not disconnected. When we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. And when we say no to something, we're saying yes to something else. And instead, it's about seeing no as a way to heal yourself, as a way to be more intimate, as a way to show up for yourself and actually for others. Because the no is releasing you from all of the things that create your worries and anxieties in the first place. And no does not have to feel perfect. It doesn't have to feel easy. It just needs to be true. Mm. And when we can be honest with ourselves, when we can speak the truth to ourselves, our body, our minds, our spirits, you know, our souls get in sync. Yes. So we use no as a way to stop being a liar, <laughs> if anything else. Yeah, yeah. A way to really, truly connect with what you need and your soul. Mm. Your soul wants you to say no. <laughs> it really does. It does. It does. And I will say, I have not read the book cover to cover, but there's all sorts of great tools and insight into how to help us get better at saying no. So thank you for writing this book. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. So how do people find you who maybe want to buy the book, want to know more about you, listen to your podcast? Yeah. So my website is baggagereclaim.com or .co.uk. Either one will get you there. And I've got my blog there as well as the podcast, which is the Baggage Reclaim Sessions, which you can find on all podcast players. And the book is available wherever books are sold, both online and offline. Please ask your local bookshop to get it in. <laughs> you know, it all helps. I'm really excited about it, about it coming out. And I appreciate you for, for having me. Oh, and I should say, I am on Instagram. Social-wise, I'm not a massive social media person. I have said no to expecting myself to be on all the things all the time. I love that. But um, <laughs> Instagram, it's um, at Nat Lou. That's N-A-T-L-U-E. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will follow you for sure. And yeah. I appreciate your advocating for not being on all the things all the time, because I think as entrepreneurs, we can tend to think we have to do it all, all the time. Yeah, and it's exhausting. Oh my gosh, exhausting. So yes. Well, Natalie, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to uh, share your book out there with the world and our conversation. Oh, thank you for having me, Elizabeth. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. 
It was such a pleasure to connect with Natalie here on the podcast. Our conversation really, really, as I said, it resonated with me. It touched me deeply. I feel as if I just, I think I just, what I love about doing the podcast is talking to women who have a deep sense of self, have been through some tough times because I think a lot of us have, and who are on this side of it and have a desire, a mission, a a purpose of helping others so that we know we're not in it alone, that there is support, that there are people out there that are are walking this walk with us. Her book, The Joy of Saying No, is, is a beautiful book. There are exercises, there are stories. She shares some of her personal stories, some of which she shared here on the podcast. And her last bit of wisdom at the end of that, you know, saying no really helps our wounded child parts know that we are the protectors, that we are the ones that are going to take care of us, ourselves, was so meaningful. That just really touched me in a way that I I hadn't really thought about boundaries in that way, is that really we are creating the scaffolding to be the protectors of ourself out in the world, in our relationships, even in our relationship with ourself. So I hope that uh, you took away some goodness from this podcast conversation too, and you go out and get Natalie's book, The Joy of Saying No, wherever books are sold. If you want to follow the podcast right there in your inbox. You can sign up for the newsletter at elizabethcushcoaching.com forward slash sign up. And each new episode will come right to your mailbox and you can be the first ones to enjoy it in your family. I hope you all have a great week and I really look forward to connecting with you here next time on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Music by Andy Cush, sound editing by Laura Disler, and show notes by Kathy Cush. If you'd like more information about me, Biz Cush, and the resources shared today, go to awakenyourwisewoman.com.